Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture to you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, Now finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic, should love the brothers, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called to this so that you can inherit a blessing. And then Peter quotes Psalm 34 and he says this, for the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the request. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that this morning you allow us to discern our own hearts simultaneous to discerning your will and your presence. And Lord, might today we bridge that gap through believing what you say, trusting in your presence and your guidance, and turning from self, turning from ourselves, turning from others and others' opinions, and turning to you. Lord, we pray that you would make this happen so that your name would be glorified and so that we would experience this good life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and if you would, open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, passage I just read, and we will start right there. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, and you can grab that and follow along. How many of you know that the Bible is the very Word of God, right? Every part, from beginning to end, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction. And so we like to, this is what we generally do, is we go... Uh, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and just digging into God's Word so that we can let God speak to us and, and not just opinions of people, which is not always good. Yes. So if I were to say to you, today you can choose the good life. Or if you've always longed for the good life, have you received it? And if you've always longed for the good life, just have a good life, rich rewarding, and knew you could have it today, what would you give up for it? Well, the Lord is giving us, each one of us, this opportunity right now. Many people define what a good life is in many different areas, and if you watch a lot of media or TV or movies, uh, listen to entertainers, then you'll find people who live uh, very flamboyant lives, very sinful lives, and promiscuity and perversion, um, mocking God even, claiming that they have earned and pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps and they have all these good things. But the backstory to all of that is usually a very, very tragic life in its wake. And we can name names, we can give all kinds of illustrations, but you know this very, very well. Don't need to spend any more time on that. But yet there's another way that is best and is good. And the Lord desires, this is something you and I need to know, we need to know that God desires us to have a fantastic life 
God is not some celestial killjoy that wants to trick you into following him and then all of a sudden you end up in some mission field all covered in fleas. That's not the case. But God's will is fantastic. And God draws us close to himself and he calls this literally the good life and what is required. But here's something you need to know. First of all, the good life is not based on good circumstances. The good life is not based on good circumstances. And we know that because he's talking to a group of people who have surrendered to Jesus. Now they're running for their lives and they're in another land among pagans, among false religions, and they're being persecuted not only by other religions, but also by the government just hammering on them. There are ladies there that are now widows because they chose to follow Christ. Very difficult. There are those that used to have a lot, now have nothing and living in poverty, and he's telling them, God wants you to have the good life. So it's not circumstantial. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've had to struggle in various trials. So he's writing this to those that are in trouble circumstantially based on the circumstances. First Peter chapter 2, so in chapter 1, he talks about it. Chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that wage war against you. Have you ever been in a fight? I'm sure you have. And if you've been in a lot of fights, then somebody eventually probably got the best of you. But what you know when you're in a fight if somebody wants to take you out of the picture, they hit you, they tackle you, they wrestle you, they put you down, they want you to be disabled, immobilized, so to say. That's waging war. Now he's saying our own heart wages war against us. Now that's not our intention, that's the result. So you and I, when we follow our own heart, it wages war against us. So you can't look to your own feelings or your own desires to figure out where the good life is, because that, you, you, what's inside of you, as for most people, what you discern life with is actually waging war against you. It's called the flesh. It's in us. And I don't think we realize how bad our flesh can be. So it doesn't, it's not about the bad circumstances around us, and it's not good circumstances that make life better. You think, you know what, if I Driving down the road, I saw the billboard. I think the, the lottery's up to 100-something million, 130-something million dollars. And I'm like, ah, forget that. It's not even a billion yet. I'm not going to waste my dollar on that. I'll wait till it's a billion. And you think, man, what could I do with all that? And thinking, if I had that, and I, if you've ever thought this way, you're thinking, man, I could do all these cool things. I'd pay off all my bills and all my friends' bills, and I'd, be, I'd get to do this. I could fly around the world. I won't just take planes. I'll have a plane, you know, all this stuff. But the reality is that's not true. The, the richest man in the world, do you know who the richest man in the world? His name is Solomon. He, he lived a couple thousand years ago. And the Bible says when you count how much gold he had, how much silver, how many horses, how many chariots, how many armies, by far the richest man in the world, not only was the richest man in the world, but he also was the wisest man that has ever lived. In fact, he was so wise, listen to what the Queen of Sheba says. The Queen of Sheba, pretty, pretty cool lady, well, as far as having all these things. She goes and she sees him and all that he has. And the Queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame. So she came to test Solomon with difficult questions at Jerusalem with a very large uh, routine with, with camels bearing spices, gold and abundance and precious stones. So she was a classy lady, had a lot of things herself. She was a very, she was a queen. 
She came to Solomon. She spoke with him about everything that was on her mind. And check this out. So Solomon answered every one of her questions. And then listen to this. Nothing was too difficult for Solomon to explain to her. So he was just smart. When, when the queen of Sheba observed Solomon's wisdom, the palace he had built, the food at his table, his servant's house, his servant's residence, uh, his attendants, and their attire, his cupbearer and his attire. In other words, the guy, the waiter and what he was wearing. She's like, wow. And then watch this. And, and, and the burnt offerings he offered in the Lord's temple. Here's what happened. It took her breath away. Wow. Now, I want to take Chris's breath away, but it hadn't been my intelligence that's taken my wife's breath away. We're like, he's so smart. But it was his brilliance. It was his wealth. It's his wisdom and his command and his armies. It was unbelievable. And the queen of Sheba, she's like, oh. <laughs> but listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2.17. He says, therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for everything is futile. This is the, the richest, the wisest man who has ever lived, who lived life according to his resources. He says, it all is vain and it's the pursuit of the wind. That's his observation. She was Twitter-pated. He was disgusted. He was like, it's not that fun. So you think, great circumstances creates a great life? Go to Solomon. Let the wisest man teach you. It's not about that. So what's it about? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the good life requires, number one, the right attitude, orientation. We get this out of verse 8. And it's, it's very interesting. The reality is, <clears throat> is he lists these characteristics, being like-minded, sympathetic, loving of the brothers, compassionate, and humble. He lists these things, and most of the time we hear these things and we're like, yeah, I know. I, I heard that one time. Doesn't work for me. Now listen, I, I don't think we realize how corrupt our heart is in the corrupt world that we live in. I think we're so tainted, I think I'm so tainted as a, as a man, as a human, being raised in this culture that I, I don't really see the power of all of these things that are listed. It's just incredible. In other words, let me ask, you, let me ask this question. If I told you that you had the, you had the potential it's right in front of you to never, ever sin again. What would you think? And what would you do? You say, you mean right now I could, you know, say you're, uh, who's that dude? Uh, take the blue pill or the red pill. Morpheus, is that his name? Never sin again. Sin all you want. What are you going to do? Red pill, blue pill, choice is yours. What would you do? Because you may be thinking, you know what? I kind of like sin. I don't know if I want to give it up. Is, is, that, is that your, would that be your answer? I mean, don't feel too shameful because the Bible does say sin is pleasurable for a season. But you all, and I, we should know that sin leads to death and the bad life. But do we love sin so much that if it was offered to you to never sin again, would you take that pill? Or would you just say, nah, I kind of like a little bit of sin. Not too much, because I don't want to be addicted or trampled or homeless or whatever. I just want a little. I think the problem comes in is when you realize that we were, Adam and Eve were in the garden. 
And in the, you had three things that were evident in the garden. You had the very presence of God, which is phenomenal. You had service and you worked and everything you did just prospered and it was abundant and it multiplied. And then you also had righteousness, holiness. And all that was given away. And since it was given away and it's done with, we don't really relate to what it's like to be holy again, to be fully to where I want to follow you, Lord, and experience the presence and the incredible service that comes with God. It's similar to this. I had a friend uh, when, I, when I was young, went to school with him, played, played all kinds of sports in Little League, Little League sports. We, were, we wore the same uh, jersey. We were the Mayfair Chipmunks. That's who we were. Hey, chipmunks are fierce, I'm telling you. They'll spit in your eye so fast. I don't know. Larry, we were good friends, and his dad and my dad were friends, and we'd hang out occasionally, but he was going, he was riding his bicycle down 50th Street, headed towards May Avenue, and he took a left-hand turn into the street, and a car hit him. It's very, very tragic. And it left him with a massive brain trauma. Just he would never, ever be the same. I mean, very disabled in so many ways. And I remember, you know, being at the hospital, I remember seeing the dad and seeing Larry and just, you know, and and here's the reality to these kinds of situations is, you know, Larry was still happy. Definitely wasn't the same. Couldn't do, you know, couldn't do 80% of what he could. But the great grief rested upon his dad because Larry didn't really know now, but the dad was mourning the loss of working on the car together and playing ball again and and having these conversations as a young man becomes uh, an older man and as you just mature together that joy and the dad missed all of that where Larry was okay if you know what I mean he's okay in himself it's okay and I think about that and I think about how God must feel that we, when we fell into sin, that we're all tainted and we're all completely disabled spiritually, dead in our trespasses of sin. And the one who suffers the most, if you follow me here, is the Father who in creation created man and woman to relate and to love, and yet now it's gone. And so he sent his only son to redeem and bring them back so that, as the Father knows, righteousness is unbelievable, incredible, fantastic. And we're like kind of looking at it going, yeah, it might, it might be good. I, I mean, it's better than if you had the chance to not ever sin again, what would you choose? I began to discover what I think about righteousness and what I think about sin. And the answer is... Let me, let me just be clear. You should choose to never, ever sin again and to pursue the Lord because you have life. So watch what he does here. He says, here's what the good life is. The good life is, number one, being like-minded. So we take on an attitude to have a good life, and it is an attitude of unity. It's a compound word of speaking of the frontal lobe of the brain and then being in unity. And so it's saying you in your mind desire to be unified with people, specifically in the body of Christ. So those that sit on the right side of the church and those that sit on the left side of the church, you want to be one with one another. You want to love each other. You don't want to be separated. When you see people in other classes, when you know they're a brother in the Lord, a sister in the Lord, you want to be their advocate, not their adversary. You want to love them. You want them to go forward and their needs are more important than your needs. And it's this incredible love. In fact, the Bible tells us, 
If you don't love your brother, you don't love God. If you love God, you love one another. If you are prejudiced, if you despise someone else that's a brother or even really anybody outside the church, then you are jacked up. Let me be clear. If you have hatred towards your brother, you do not know God, period. It's that clear. In fact, there's not anything more clear in the Bible. We can debate about the, when Jesus is coming back again. We can debate about how the world was created. We can debate about this and that. But you cannot debate about this if you do not love your brother. Mm, you're messed up. And so having the good life is looking at this verse and saying, man, am I like-minded? And I am, am I in unity? Um, now, listen, we've got a lot of reasons not to be unified. I mean, we're all over the spectrum politically, right? I mean, there's, there's people who don't believe what you... There's some people who really like CNN. There's some people who really like uh, Fox News, and you don't like each other in those realms. But you better get to figure it out how to love each other because you're in trouble if you don't, right? There are some of you... I hate to bring this up. It's just so embarrassing. There are some of you that were happy that, oh, you lost yesterday. <laughs> face it. Face it. I do see some hands, and that's just incredible. But if, if you don't bring up OU, I'm not going to bring up the tech game, okay? Is that fair? I won't bring it up. Sorry. <laughs> I just won't bring it up. See? And then when we bring up these things, and then there's a couple of you who, man, it's just crazy how you became this, but you're big Ohio fans, and you're just laughing at all of us. You know, There are reasons for us not to be unified, if you think about it. But if you really think about it, there shouldn't be anything that keeps us apart from each other. When you think about the blood of the Lord Jesus and how he died for you and he died for you and he died for you and he puts us together in the blood of Christ and he sends his spirit and he tells us to worship him in unity and like-mindedness and approach the world because the world is dying and going to hell and who cares about pigskin at that point? Who cares about what style of food, what kind of clothes, what kind of language, what kind of politics? Because Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and we follow him, we surrender to him and we love one another and we are to be like-minded right next we're love for the brothers um i'm sorry sympathetic sympathetic so if one member suffers all the members suffer with it if one member is honored all members rejoice with it so in other words it's talking about external circumstances and we as a body we as a church glen meadowites we learn how to, if someone is grieving, we all come around and we literally divide the pain of the grief among ourselves. And if somebody is rejoicing, we all come together and we multiply the impact of our joy. So we are dividing the pain and we're multiplying the joy. And so we are to be the kinds of people who live the good life, the compassionate. I'm sorry, I keep jumping. Love for the brothers. We are to love one another. So in the text, it says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, have love for the brethren, and then compassionate. And just really being able to understand sympathy and empathy, having compassion, being moved by your pain, being moved by your joy, and having compassion, then also humility or being humble. That's what he says. You want to have the good life, then humility is required. Philippians chapter 2, 5 and 7 says, Have the same mind in you, which was also in Christ. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. 
by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of man. So you and I, as followers of Jesus, having these other four characteristics, we are to top it off with humility. And humility is desiring to say, God, I want others' needs to be ahead of my own. I push other in, others in the forefront, and I'm not pushing myself in the forefront. Humility. There's not a faster way to attract the presence of God than humility. There's not another way to guarantee God rejects you other than pride. But humility is something that we are to wear, we're to drive in. And in fact, when you look at these things, unity and sympathy and love for the brother and compassion and humility, you look at these things and there's, some, there's one of these things that is going to be difficult for you. You know, for one of these, maybe easy for me, but there's a couple of these that are very difficult for me. And here's the point. When I approach these attitudes and this orientation and I find myself lacking, then to drive and to press in towards this creates a death to self. In other words, I have to really alter the way I'm thinking. I need to, I need to get involved in the disciplines in prayer and worship until these things become mine. And when I do these things, I draw near to God and the cruel, deceitful heart is replaced with the circuit judge of the Holy Spirit that leads me and guides me within my heart and I become this kind of person. And the reason this is all good is because he, he reaches back, Peter, in this passage, reaches back to Psalm 34 and in verse 10, he quotes it when he says, listen, basically what I'm saying, you've already heard before in the Psalms and he reads it and he says this, for the one who wants to live to love life and to see good days. It's like he's saying, listen, you're not believing what I'm saying? Let's, let's even go back to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament and the New Testament is saying this for you and me. Do you really want to see these good days? Christian, listen, if, if you have surrendered your life to Christ and you know He is Lord and He is your Savior, then these characteristics are inside of you. It's, it comes with the package of the Holy Spirit, like the fruit of the Spirit. And you desire to be like Christ in these areas. And he just brought up a few. And, and as a Christian, it's in there. It's in you. It draws you. It pulls you in that direction. You know what I'm talking about is true. It's inside of you. You're bearing witness to this. And it moves you. It's like the little boy that went out on a cloudy day to fly a kite. The wind was blowing. So he's got this kite up. He started running with the kite. And the kite started getting higher and higher. And he sat back and he just let the wind take it and had lots of string and just letting the string out till eventually the cloud, the, the cloud hid the kite. The kite was in the clouds. And he's just standing there with a string that just goes up to the sky and you can't see anything else. And some guy comes by and he goes, what are you doing? He says, I'm flying a kite. He said, you got a kite up there? He said, yes, I do. He said, how do you know? He says, I can feel it pulling me. I can feel it pulling me. And he said, yeah, I guess you do. Do you feel that pull from heaven? from the very presence of God just pulling you in this direction towards these things. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you just motioning, just beckoning and calling you, look, this is the right way. Feast on the Word of God. Be transparent in worship before the Lord. Engage God and these things will become incredible and they literally will give you the good life, but also... The good life requires control of your soul at the highest level. The control of your soul at the highest level. Listen, it is so easy just to give in to the flesh. It's easy. Anybody can do it. 
Anybody can become like those people you see on social media and YouTube and movies and whatever in Hollywood to where they mock God and they just go for the gusto all they can. Anybody can do that. In fact, you can be that guy in three seconds. But being the gal that pursues these things and truly enjoys the good life, it takes something. And it literally takes this incredible passion to literally bless those who curse. That's the first one. You must bless those who curse you. Proverbs 20.22 says this, Don't say, I will avenge this. Wait on the Lord and He will rescue you. So we have a tendency that if somebody does something bad to us, we really hope something bad happens to them. We want to get back at them. Man, the other day we went and got some takeout, we brought it home, and they had the wrong food in there. And that is so irritating. It's just, you're too lazy to go back and have it returned, even though they said, we'll fix it. And you're going, yeah, I know you'll fix it, but won't you come to my house and pick up my plate and then fix it? <laughs> and then you're thinking bad thoughts. You know what? I think I'll just Facebook this and I'll let people know. I'll tweet it on Twitter, right? I'll do it. And then you're just saying, man, why curse those who curse you? Maybe it's more, a little deeper than that. Maybe it's something that really, really is painful. But did you know we are called to this lifestyle of forgiving those people who wrong us? Did you know that? We are called to this. 1 Peter chapter 2 and 21, just a passage over, says, For you were called to this because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in His steps. That's what we do. That's who we are. We are the kinds of people who we forgive. Now look, if somebody has stolen from you or somebody hurts you or there's some kind of thing with recompense involved, man, tell the cops. There's nothing wrong with that. Allow the process to work. There's nothing wrong to tell the truth. This is what happened and we want justice. There's nothing wrong with that. But so many of the things that we're resentful for are those things that aren't indictable. It's what someone says. It's what someone doesn't do. It's the invitation you never got. It's feeling like a... feeling left out or somebody messes up your plans and your boss makes you work when you don't want to work and you begin to curse or a politician does all this grandstanding and it makes you angry and we become the kinds of people that want to curse instead of bless. Now listen, if you and I have the kind of heart that is quick to curse and quick to criticize, it means we've got a major problem and you're probably not going to live a good life. In fact, there are those who do live the good life who when have been hurt, have blessed. I don't know if you heard the story, but this guy by the name of Botham Jean, he was sitting in his living room. He was eating ice cream, and a police officer walks in the door and shoots him. She thought she was in her apartment. Remember that? Didn't happen not too long ago. Her name was Amber Geiger. So she's off duty. It's late. She goes in. She opens the door. Door's open. She thinks there's somebody in there. Sure enough, there was. Shoots him. Shoots him dead. And she made the worst mistake of her whole life. Tragic in every way. She was sentenced to 10 years because of this great mistake. Remember this? In the sentencing, the judge asked the brother of the victim to give a a victim statement, an, an impact, a victim impact statement. And his name is Brant, Brant Jean. And Brant Jean gives up and he talks about the pain, but he also talks about something else that's more important. And this hit the headlines. And he said, we forgive you. And he gave her a hug. I think we have a picture of that. Just hugged her right there in front of, in front of national TV. 
and said, we forgive you. And I remember seeing like a month earlier, and I remember them showing a clip of a pastor who was speaking about the man who was shot. And I know, I know that church, and it's a phenomenal church. And as I'm watching this pastor who was telling the media about this member of his church and, and what, a man, what a great man he was, I'm like, this family's getting some incredible infusion of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and I, I'm hoping something comes out of this. Because, you know, this was a hotbed issue, a white cop walking in and shooting a black guy. And when this man hugged her and said, we forgive you, there was a onslaught, a, a tsunami of criticism because others wanted the hatred and the cursing to start so there could be more inflammatory remarks. Instead, he puts it all at ease and silence and he says, we forgive you and we, and he hugged her and the whole courtroom just wept. And then the judge comes over and prays over her, if you remember that, and all of the media went crazy of how wrong that was. And I'll tell you something, where there is friction, there's an opportunity to have traction for the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, that was a race that was won that morning with lots of traction, even though there was friction. And there's only 18. So I, very few of you probably had your brother shot, innocently, very few of you although you have been offended, not to that level. The Bible says you are to bless and not curse. You say, Brother Mac, nobody does that. No, 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 nobody in the flesh does that. You can. If you choose, you want the good life. You harbor bitterness. You harbor the resentment. You could be Solomon and still not happy. That's what happens. But also... It tells us you must control your tongue. See what it says? So to bless, not curse, you are called to this so that you can inherit a blessing. So when you are not forgiving and you are not blessing, then you will be cursed. But if you choose to not hold grudges and not have anger towards other people, then you will receive a blessing. You'll inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. That's the second thing that you and your soul need to hide back, hold back, is your tongue. The tongue can be pretty evil, actually. Psalm 141 says this, verse 3, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Lord, make sure I don't say anything I regret. James chapter 3. You remember James, half-brother of Jesus? The pastor of First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, remember that? He knows what he's talking about. Here's what he says. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, a place is placed among the parts of the body. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. My tongue can be vicious, hateful, hurtful, and can be a demonic instrument if I allow it to be. The words you say, you're accountable for. The intention of your heart is revealed by what you say. In fact, what Jesus says, what comes from the mouth is already in the heart. And so here's the issue. If you want the good life, become the kind of person who only speaks good things and not bad things. Not that you can't give a bad report. It's storming outside and there's a car wreck. Truthful. You don't have ill, bad intentions. But once you start slandering people, once you start putting yourself above others, 
once you start cursing situations, then it becomes a problem, and we need to be very, very careful. Also, the next thing you and I must do in controlling our souls is we must turn from evil. Don't consider yourself to be wise. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Everybody in this room, you have an opportunity to walk away from evil. You can turn it off. You can cut it off. You can leave the room. You can turn away from evil so that you and I are not engaged in it. You have that opportunity every single week, but to linger longer is a curse and does not lead to the good life. See, the devil is the uh, prince of lies, right? He is a liar. He is, the devil has been around for a long, long time, and he convinces you that sin is good and that if you indulge in these sins in evil, then it'll give you the good life, and the Lord is saying, turn from it. Then he also says, next, you must pursue peace with all people. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 says, pursue peace with all men, without which no one will see the Lord. And, and another passage says, so as far as it is up to you, live at peace with all men. There are some people you're not going to have peace with because they're just not going to have peace. But as far as you are concerned, you and I are to live at peace. And then when we do these things, we actually experience the good life. This passage says, For the one who wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good, and he must seek peace and pursue it. And then it says this. Here's why you want to do that. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Now, it's... This statement doesn't mean you better do it because God's watching. That's not what it's saying, although that may be true. What it's saying is this. Man, God's eyes will be on you. When you live the good life, you, here's, here's the results. Here's what the blessing is. His eyes and his ears are upon you. It's like the omnipotent, all-knowing one is with you. He sees all that's going on. Therefore, I don't need to get vengeance. God can get vengeance for me. He is the one who signs my paycheck. He is the one who works through relationships. And I don't need to be the puppet master in the circumstances of life. God's eyes and ears, it leads to intimacy. Back to the garden, the presence of God. It leads to the presence to where you're speaking to God and He hears you, He sees you in His favor is upon you. This is the good life. No matter what the circumstances are, you can live the good life of the presence of God to His eyes. He looks. He wants to be with you. He wants to be in the same room where He can see you. And He listens. Communication. But for those who choose not to, evil attracts, look what it says, it says here, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. For those of you who are Googly intelligent, you can look this up and you can search for the face of the Lord. And more times than not, it's speaking of God's judgment. Obviously in the Old Testament, it says, seek my face. It's talking about intimacy. And sometimes when it speaks of the face of the Lord, it's good. But more times than not, God's face was set against Sodom and Gomorrah. Coming in contact with the face of the Lord is though you can see the expressions. You can hear the disgust in the nostrils. 
You can see the squinting of the eyes and that judgment will come next. So this says, choose the good life. Why? So that the presence of God will be felt. And so that you won't experience the face, the judgment face of God. You don't want the curse of God. You want the blessing of God. Peter tells us how, right? Right here. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.